you're not the boss of me now and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today we're talking about Lois Strikes Back, which originally aired March 19th, 2006, was directed by Alex Reed and written by Gary Murphy. Hi, I'm Jake and sorry for the rain delay, folks, but we're ready to get back on the internet. And I'm David. And are you trying to calm me down? And before we get into this week's episode, we have some poll results to look back on. Of course we do. Actually, I think we have two sets of poll results. That sounds right. Right? Uh, Listen, we've been gone a long time. (laughs) I'm sorry, everybody. (laughs) I got sick. Jake got sick. It was, it was awful. That's, that's all I can say. It It sure was. But uh, looking back on Hal Greaves, which I'm 75% sure we haven't talked about the results for. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> more sure than I am. For that episode, uh, for Shittiest Kid, we uh, both chose Malcolm for understanding Hal's grief and still going through with manipulating him once there was a car on the line. And the internet, in a very close race, did not agree with us. What? We have a tie for first place between Reese and Dewey, who both got 30% of the vote each, with Malcolm and Francis both getting 20% each. What? (laughs) And uh, we do have a reply on that one explaining one of the Reese votes at least. Because uh, Deadpan Reborn says Reese, because he's he also only was sad about his grandpa dying because he didn't get any money, on top of the other awful stuff he does. He's also the uh, one that suggests the electronic store and specifically which one to go to, meaning he was making Hal spend a lot of money. Which, uh, that's fair enough. Yeah, were... but I mean, it's again, it's the, it's the, they forgot the bell curve, but... Like, I I agree. They're not wrong. All of those things suck. Yeah, I, ca- I can't be too mad at people choosing Reese and Dewey on that episode because they are all fucking They're detestable on that episode. so shitty. And <laughs> uh, for least shitty kid, which, uh, looking at this, we definitely have not talked about this. <laughs> I am okay. Now, I am now certain. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Yes, because I forgot when I I made my choice for that. Oh, yeah, you piece Uh, of shit. Because uh, you chose Dewey as least shitty for uh, not letting George Decay into the house at the end. Yeah, listen, For doing his homework. It was minimal. (laughs) Well, I went with Francis for directing the episode of Malcolm in the Middle, Hal Greaves. That's some some (laughs) cop-out horseshit if I've ever heard any. And yet, <laughs> the internet agreed with me. Oh, okay. So you all copped out. Okay. <laughs> Francis okay. won with 66% of the vote. Uh-huh. With your choice of Dewey in second with 22% of the vote and a lone dissenting Malcolm. Oh, I'm glad to see at least some of the internet has conviction. <laughs> you fucking cop outs. <laughs> yeah, I knew that would upset you. <laughs> That's the dumbest shit. <laughs> That's, that's, that's not a, dude, I want to yell at you, but my head hurts so bad. Like, (laughs) We also have poll results for AA, 
Uh, and we we had the weird coincidence in that one where we both initially had Francis as shittiest kid and then changed at the <laughs> last minute when we got to awards. Yep. Uh, you switched your votes to Malcolm for torture and manipulation, while I switched mine to Reese for torture and wanting to cut Dewey open with a knife. <laughs> I mean, and... that's called science, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> In another very close poll, uh, the internet uh, agreed with me, kind of. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> we have another tie as uh, Francis and Reese both got 30% of the vote, with Malcolm and Dewey both getting 20%. <laughs> hmm. Okay. I can see that. I don't like it, but I can see it. And uh, Deadpan Reborn had a uh, response on that one as well. Saying, I just thought about how Dewey was the one who taught him, uh, who taught his brothers being good was the way to get Lois to be nice to them, so they used his lesson against him. Extra shadiness for Malcolm and Reese. <laughs> yeah, but it's really in their wheelhouse. <laughs> it is. <laughs> then, for least shitty kid, we both chose Dewey, as he was just a helpless victim the entire episode. And the internet unanimously agreed with us on that one. Dewey received 100% of the vote. That sounds about right. And with that, let's get into this week's episode. And as usual, there is a cold open for us to start with. And it starts with uh, Lois sitting at the kitchen table clipping some coupons. And Reese comes in wearing his denim jacket, uh, which he has torn. And Lois, like, initially, you know, scolds him for ruining this perfectly good denim jacket, but then she says to give it to her. She still has something she can do with it. <laughs> and we see Malcolm walking in with, like, a severely chemically burned denim vest <laughs> that Lois has made out of the original jacket. <laughs> and he explains that he uh, spilled chemicals on it uh, in chemistry class and burned it with acid. <laughs> And she says, give it to me. <laughs> and Dewey walks in wearing, like, cut-off denim shorts that really remind me of Tobias's never-nude uh, yeah. denim shorts from Arrested Development. They're, they're male Daisy Dukes, Jake. That's yes. <laughs> and uh, he comes in and uh, says he doesn't want to wear these anymore. They're falling apart. And everyone at school is making fun of him for wearing them. And Lois says, fine, give them to me. And then it ends with Lois giving Hal a present. And he, like, opens it up and inside is a denim tie. <laughs> <laughs> and getting into the episode proper, uh, we have two plot lines. But the uh, second plot line is kind of a uh, inset plot line. It kind of happens within the main plot line. Yeah. Uh, so we will, like, start with the main plot line, and then when it splits off into the side plot, we will uh, split off with it and cover it. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of be starting with the style plot. I, I think we'll I'll guess the name when we get to the split point. Okay. For each of them, or? Uh, yes. All right, I'm fine with that. Okay. But it starts with Reese on the phone... Uh, like, very excited, like, talking with a, like, very high-pitched, excited voice, doing the, like, very stereotypical, like, high schooler dating thing of the, like, no, I love you more, 
routine. And when he hangs up, he, like, turns to the uh, the family and tells them that, okay, Cindy's coming over. She's only a few blocks away. <laughs> Everyone, calm down. <laughs> they all just kind of sit there. And he wants them to try to be cool. <laughs> and <laughs> he makes Malcolm look up his nose to ask if there's any bats in the hanger. <laughs> Which Malcolm says, you've asked me that five times, and the answer is still yes. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, Lois asks, you know, who this girl is, and Reese says that he's never actually met her. That she's the cousin of a girl who goes to his school, and she saw him at the dance last week and thought that he was hot. <laughs> Which... Prompts Lois to say, you know, she's not surprised, you know, setting aside that uh, she's his mom. If she just saw him walking down the street, I'd think, now there's a hot guy. <laughs> which, <laughs> to which Dewey immediately says, ew. <laughs> yes. Fair. Fair, Dewey. <laughs> but Reese says that he's been talking to Cindy on the phone all week. And that, you know, she's great, and they have the same sense of humor because she saw him put the fake dog poop into the punch bowl at the dance, and they both agreed it would have been funnier to use the real thing. <laughs> to which Lois is just, you put dog you put dog poop in the punch bowl? <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. And uh, Dewey asks, what kind of loser would want to go out with Reese? And Reese produces a picture and shows it to him. And he says, uh, tonight's going to be great if she's half as good of a kisser as her picture. And <laughs> uh. <laughs> the doorbell rings. And uh, Reese tells everyone, okay, get out of here. No, wait, she might want to meet you. <laughs> Uh, just try to be cool. <laughs> and he, like, goes over to the front door, like, panicking, you know, asking if his pits smell and yelling at Lois for making him put this shirt on. But Lois, like, reassures him, you know, you'll be fine. There's nothing to be nervous about. Just be yourself. And Reese, like, grabs a bouquet of flowers off the uh, table by the door and answers it. And he is greeted by a pig uh, with balloons that say i love reese and there's like a group of teenage girls there who take his picture with the pig and laugh and laugh before running away then we see lois at the school talking to the principal about what happened and the principal like immediately is like very clearly struggling to contain his laughter as he says and the pig was actually wearing lipstick yeah. yeah. What a jerk. <laughs> well. I, listen. It becomes very clear why. I get quickly. it. But also. Yeah. As Lois says, you know, look, I know Reese hasn't been the best student. And you know, she apologizes for his past behavior. And your tires. And your mailbox. And your lawn fountain. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, listen, Reese is, you know, he's just really getting out there and experimenting. <laughs> and when Lois, like, you know, insists these girls need to be punched, the principal says, yeah, of course, we just need to figure out who they are. And he says, uh, you know, they're obviously very clever. I mean, where do you even get a pig? And then you have to 
take it to your house and put the makeup on it. <laughs> and as he like starts to uh, giggle to himself again, Lois threatens to call the superintendent and say, you know, uh, I'm curious to hear what the superintendent would have to say about all this. And uh, he just says, that's a great idea. I'll put him on speakerphone. <laughs> <laughs> oh reese but lois you know realizing she's getting nowhere with this marches out angry and as she marches out she passes the bulletin board and kind of does a double take as she realizes that there's a big poster on it uh with a picture of reese and the pig uh nominating them as prom king and queen then it Cuts back to the Wilkerson house where Lois is very angrily chopping some vegetables. Yes, very angrily. <laughs> and Hal is like trying to talk to her about it, but she like keeps cutting him off and like won't let him get a word in. And uh, finally Hal says, uh, honey, I think you're getting chunks of cutting board in the salad. <laughs> and she stops chopping. And Hal tells you, know, there's nothing we can do. You went to the principal, and if, you know, he's not going to do anything, it's out of our hands. But Lois, of course, says that that is unacceptable. And Hal says, I, I, I don't think it's that bad. I think Reese is actually, you know, starting to uh, get out of his uh, bad mood. And then as soon as he says that, uh, in the background, Reese starts, like, loudly sobbing. And... Hal says, see, yesterday when I brought him soup, he couldn't even make a single sound. That's improvement. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where your opening line comes from, as, as Hal tells her, you know, everything's going to be okay. Lois says, are you trying to calm me down? <laughs> <laughs> and Hal <laughs> nods his head yes, but says no. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, I just think that... uh." It doesn't lead anywhere good when you get like this. <laughs> and that does not go over well, as Lois says, uh, when I get like what? Do you think I have a problem here? <laughs> uh, and she would love for Hal to explain what the problem is. <laughs> and Hal says, you know, this seems like a longer conversation, and I would love to have it. And he starts backing away. As he explains that, you know, he has to get out to the garage and finish the project he's working on. It's fixing the uh, drawer in their bathroom so that she doesn't have to keep her makeup brushes in her, uh, uh the pocket of her robe anymore. <laughs> and he, like, explains all of this as he's backing away out of the house, like, closing the door behind him and into the garage. <laughs> Which, uh, he even, like, puts glue on the, like... Uh, outside of the drawer and, like, slaps it on, which is very clearly the last step of fixing this drawer, and pulls a tarp off of a chair and sits down while still loudly telling <laughs> Lois that, you know, they're going to have this important conversation just as soon as he's done. And that is where these plot lines uh, sort of splinter off, and we will be sticking with the Hal plot line, uh, which I think you have named the mb plot for moneyball that would have been a good one um i'm not gonna lie i forgot about moneyball <laughs> fair enough <laughs> but no it's the aam okay for the arm action machine okay which is uh a technical name for a pitching machine gotcha I've, i i figured <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this, like, splinter plot uh, starts with uh, Hal still in the garage. Uh, the next day, as he is reading a magazine, like, sitting in that same chair, and he hears Lois pull up, and he, like, jumps up and grabs the wood glue and starts, like, loudly complaining about this damned drawer. Why won't you just let me fix you? <laughs> as he, like, rushes over to, like, uh, peek out of the window to, like, see if Lois is coming his way. And when she goes into the house, he, like, sighs in relief and starts to walk back over to his chair. Uh, but as he's walking, he accidentally steps on a board that was, like, sitting on one of the boys' skateboard with a Coke can on the end. And when he steps on it, the Coke can, like, launches up into the air. And Hal looks delighted by this and, like, sets it up and does it again with, like, a big grin. And then it just cuts to him using the skateboard and board to, like, knock the Coke can up and then hit it with a 2 by 4 And, uh, say, you know, that that's another uh, out-of-the-park home run for Hal. And he, like, proceeds to run around the garage. <laughs> Like, uh, celebrating and high-fiving a glove that he's, like, put up on something. Seemingly for the purpose of high-fiving. Well, yeah, Jake. I mean, what what good is a victory lap if you aren't getting any praise? Like, come on. It's like you're not even thinking about this. <laughs> then we uh, see that this has progressed as Hal is now, like, outside the garage having made a homemade pitching machine. Uh, and it, like, starts going, and the, like, ball, like, rolls down into the glove that he has set up, and it spins around, and he, like, prepares to hit it, but the ball, like, limply falls out of the end of the machine, like, not being thrown at all. <laughs> Hal just says, well, at least we know he's not using steroids. <laughs> And he, like, starts to walk over to the machine, but then he, like, looks back at the garage and, like, looks at the, like, hydraulic setup for it and clearly has, like, a light bulb moment. Yeah, a very, very frightening light bulb moment, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, to be fair, I guess any light bulb moment for Hal could potentially be very scary. I mean, true. Then we once again see him... Uh, with this pitching machine, uh, but it once again fails as uh, it runs out of power before the actual pitch. And Hal walks over to it and he's doing like a old timey like baseball announcer like bit the entire time this time. <laughs> it is so on par for Hal. It, 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 it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he, like, walks over to it and starts cranking the, like, apparently, like, crank-powered battery he has set up to this thing. <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, Malcolm comes out and they have a conversation that pertains to the other plot. Uh, like, temporarily interrupting them, and that's where my opening line comes from. As he, uh, like, goes back over and, you know, or, uh, no, no, th this, this isn't. I lied. I was gonna say, uh, what? That, I, I forgot which delay I went with, David. <laughs> I forgot there were two. <laughs> Okay. As he uh, like uh, walks over and like goes back into his announcer voice and says, "Sorry, folks. Uh, <laughs> there, there was a fan on the field, but we're ready to get back to the game." And he like gets in his pitcher stance and waits. And this time, <laughs> the pitching machine launches the ball with such force that it like tears through the garage door. <laughs> yeah, it's great. 
<laughs> and Hal like screams and drops his bat and then like walks over to the hole in the garage door and like looks at it and says, my God, I could have died as a second baseball like flies by narrowly missing him again. <laughs> and he once again like screams and jumps back. <laughs> then the last scene of this plot line is where my uh, opening line comes from as he comes out with some beer and chips. And he's once again doing the announcer thing, and he apologizes for the rain delay, folks, but the players are ready to get back on the field. And then he, like, looks around and realizes his pitching machine is gone. A-A-M. Pitching machine. <laughs> so with that, we will uh, go back to the main plot line. And... Uh... <laughs> I, th I think you named this the KB plot for Kill Bill. Uh, <laughs> man, why can I never think of modern media when I'm doing these? I don't know that Moneyball and Kill Bill qualify as modern media, David. Compared to what I generally think of when doing these? Yeah. Because this is the MM plot line, but I love the Kill Bill guess. Um... Because it's it's named the Memoirs of Matilda for the origin of the saying, revenge is a dish best served cold. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, is a book from the 1800s. <laughs> <sighs> like I said, I can't think of modern media for this shit. <laughs> uh, you do sometimes. Sometimes, but... <laughs> I think that's like the 15th one that's been like 1800s or earlier. That's fair. <laughs> but uh, it uh, picks up with uh, the re-stuff that we've already talked about. And it really like uh, splinters off with Lois going into the boys' room with a yearbook. And she like opens it up in front of Reese and says, uh, I want names. <laughs> And Peter just kind of whimpers. She says, okay, just tell me how many there were. And he holds up four fingers. Then she says, okay, just nod when I get to them. And she, like, opens the yearbook and starts, like, tracking her finger over the, like, student pictures, waiting for him to react. And uh, when she gets to Kristen Peterson, Reese, like, sobs and nods his head. Then... We, we see Lois, like, stalking this girl as <laughs> she's parked in front of the school and, like, watching her. And she has, like, uh, on her sun visor, like, a list of things about her that she's observed. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's real serial killer vibes. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as uh, she's, like, watching her, uh, Kristen, like, gets on her moped and puts her helmet on, but before she does, she, like, does the, like, stereotypical, like, teenage girl in a movie thing where she, like, you know, flips her hair around. And Lois, like, mutters to herself, you just love that beautiful hair, don't you? <laughs> then, back at the house, <laughs> Reese and Dewey are watching TV together, but Reese is still just, like, sobbing the entire time. And Dewey says, I can't take this anymore. You have to snap out of it. And he tells you, know, you, you have to stop crying and get on with your life. And when he says that, Reese's sobbing intensifies. And Dewey says, oh, did I remind you about your life? 
<laughs> oh, God. Such a good line. <laughs> then, in an attempt to cheer Reese up, Dewey goes over and gets his ant farm and a can of bug spray and takes it over to Reese and he hands the ant farm to him and says, this is my ant farm that I've been taking care of uh, for weeks now. I know all of the ants. I watch them every day. I've given them all names and I love them. Then he hands him the bug spray and says, go nuts. <laughs> but it doesn't work as Reese just continues to cry and Dewey like takes him back to their room. As Reese says, why does everything I love turn into a pig? Yeah, I really want to know the origin of that because that definitely implies this has happened more than once. <laughs> Fair. Oh, which, uh, actually, I, I did skip over part of this, because uh, Dewey also has a story for him to try to cheer him up after the ant thing doesn't work. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the, the kid who has <laughs> such bad luck. Yes, he tells him about a kid at his school who sat in stew and then spilled lemonade on his crotch. <laughs> it was the perfect storm. There were kids from other schools showing up to make fun of him. <laughs> but Reese just like looks at him and whimpers did he get his pants clean <laughs> I bet his mom wasn't able to get his pants clean yes and that's where Dewey like takes him back to bed <laughs> yeah uh, then Malcolm comes home from school and Lois asks him how his day was and he says okay there was one weird thing that happened at school and he tells the story of uh, how Kristen uh, came to school and uh, she, like, gets off of her scooter and when she pulls the helmet off, it has been filled with, like, chewed gum. I'm sorry, how do you not notice that? Like, y you deserve that at that point. Like... Yeah, it... Uh, uh... So gross, so squishy, so nasty. Yeah, but if you have, like, a lot of hair, like, you, you generally, like, might not feel that. <laughs> no, no. Listen, I know you might think that, Jake, but as a, as a hair owner, you know, as, as a hair haver, I, I definitely can feel things that touch my hair. <laughs> right, but you have, like, short hair. You've, you've never had long hair. Like, the longer your hair is, the less you, like, feel, like, stuff. I, I just don't buy it. I don't buy uh, it. Yeah, it, it's definitely a little bit of a stretch, but, but uh, then Malcolm, like, uh, is it like cuts away from like, uh, like actually seeing this back to the kitchen. Malcolm says that uh, they he he heard that the janitor had to uh, cut all of her hair off with shears, and uh, when he says this, Lois like lets her mask slip as she like gets a giant <laughs> smile on her face for a split second <laughs> before like turning away and saying oh that's terrible <laughs> terrible <laughs> then uh malcolm like walks away with a concerned look on his face <laughs> then we uh see lois going after her second victim huh. Uh, who is Diane, played by Emma Stone. And uh, she's, like, on the phone, talking to her friends about what happened to Kristen. And they're, like, making fun of her, saying, you know, I didn't realize how big her head is until I saw her without hair. And saying, you know, the, the best part of all of this is that now her, boy her boyfriend is single, so I can take him to the dance. God. 
And uh, Lois is, like, sitting outside of her bedroom window, like, peeking in at her. Again, real serial killer vibes, man. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it is notable that, like, her entire room is full of, like, various plushies and dolls. She has, like, multiple, like, shelves with nothing but those on them. Her bed is covered in them. Her dresser is covered in them. Like, every surface has them. Yep. Then that leads into Malcolm seeing Lois at the school, and they, like, bump into each other, and Malcolm asks why she's there. And Lois says that she's there to pick up missed work for Reese, and Malcolm, like, chuckles and makes a joke about how, you know, uh, he hopes that she brought a, a truck. And Lois, like, snaps at him, saying, uh, you know, no one takes what happened to your brother seriously. Well, people are gonna start thinking twice about that. And when Malcolm, Malcolm, like, starts to ask what that means, uh, they're distracted as uh, Diane goes to her locker and opens it, and it is, like, stuffed full of the decapitated and, like, desecrated heads of her dolls and plushies that just, like, spill out. Yeah, Lois is a savage, bro. Like, <laughs> damn. And she, like, falls to her knees, weeping. <laughs> like, surrounded by all of these beheaded dolls. And when Malcolm, like, turns back around to accuse Lois, she is gone. Then <laughs> Malcolm comes home from school and walks over to Lois, who's in the kitchen. And uh, he asks her, you know, uh, what did you do today? <laughs> is it a busy day? You know, shopping, running errands, beheading dolls? <laughs> Listen, that stuff takes effort. <laughs> he, he asks, uh, did, uh, did you see uh, how Diane reacted? And Lois says, no, I didn't. Did she cry? <laughs> and uh, Malcolm says that she had to be taken to the nurse's office. She was hyperventilating. And huh. Lois, like, laughs and then, like, once again turns and says, terrible, terrible. <laughs> People can be so cruel. Oh, Lois. <laughs> and she tells him that, uh, you know, dinner is in the fridge and ready for them. She has to go run some more errands. And Malcolm is, like, following her as she's, you know, explaining the errands she has to run. And she goes into the bathroom. And Malcolm, like, continues to, uh, like, confront her while she's in the bathroom, like, talking to her through the door. And he asks her, did it feel good to cut through Elmo's neck, Mom? Did it? <laughs> oh. And when there's no reply, he, like, knocks and says, Mom? And there's still no reply, he opens the door. And Lois is gone with the bathroom window noticeably open. <laughs> Listen, it's Malcolm. I don't blame her. And that is where Malcolm goes outside interrupts Hal with his pitching machine as he tells Hal, you know, what Lois has been doing, saying that she's turned into some kind of crazy vigilante, that she's going around ruining these girls' lives. And initially Hal says, well, that sounds like a lot of supposition. <laughs> but uh, Malcolm says, you know, I, I saw her do it. <laughs> and he says, or uh, he says, I was there when she did it. <laughs> and he says, well, what do you mean you were there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love 
Malcolm says, yeah, I can't believe you don't even care about this. And Hal says, you know, he cares, but they need to remain cautiously detached when she's in this kind of mood. (laughs) (laughs) And Malcolm says, fine, I'll just leave you here to play your silly little game. And Hal just gives him a thumbs up and says, great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. That's that's some dad energy right there. <laughs> then we see Dewey bathing Reese as Reese like in the tub and Dewey is cleaning him with a washcloth. And Dewey is complaining about one of his teachers and how much homework he's been assigning. I mean, I know your wife left you, but you don't have to take it out on us. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Reese is just, like, sitting despondently staring into the middle distance in the tub. And when Hal comes in and asks Dewey how he's doing, Dewey says he's having a good day. (laughs) (laughs) Then we see Lois in action once again as she has moved on to Heidi. And she is, like, outside of her house, like, looking in a window, like, into their living room where her parents are both, like, sitting there reading. And she like has a bag and she opens the window and like sneaks it into their living room and then closes the window then she calls them on her cell phone and she pretends to be from the edgewood hotel you know calling to confirm the uh, single room with a queen size bed that they have for tonight and when the dad says you know we don't have a reservation there she says that it was made by heidi and she also requested a bottle of champagne in the romance package. And uh, the dad, like, says that uh, they need to cancel that reservation and hangs up and, like, stands up and yells at his daughter to come out here. And they, like, get into a screaming match as they think that she has set up this hotel room for her and her boyfriend tonight. And Heidi is, like, denying it, saying, you know, she didn't do that. And then her mom notices that she has a bag sitting in the living room and opens it. And inside, she, like, pulls out lingerie and a bunch of condoms. Which prompts her dad to, like, yell at her and say that she's not dating that Scott boy anymore. And as Lois, like... Watches this with a giant smile, she, like, starts to crawl away under the window, but she accidentally knocks over a potted plant. And when it, like, crashes, the dad looks out the window and sees her running away. And Lois is, like, running away and runs into a, like, little boy skateboarding and accidentally knocks him off his skateboard and is, like, helping him up. As Heidi's dad comes out, uh, you know, looking for whoever knocked this plot potted plant over and was looking through their window. And uh, he asks, you know, what's going on here? And Lois, like, grabs the kid and says that uh, she caught this kid's uh, looking in their window. <laughs> and the dad, like, drags this neighbor kid away, saying, uh, we'll see what the police have to think about this, you pervert. And Lois, like, looks... Uh, initially with like a big smile as this kid gets dragged away and it like slowly fades as it dawns on her what she's done and she goes to check in on reese and she tells him i've been a terrible mother (laughs) which he says it's okay mom i've known that for a long time (laughs) god what a dick And she tells him, uh, no, I mean, I should have been here, uh, you know, helping you with your emotions and helping you get through this. But 
when those girls did that to you, I got so caught up in my own anger that uh, all I could focus on was getting them back, and I went on a rampage. And that gets Reese's attention. <laughs> As he, like, looks over, and uh, she, like, explains, you know, what she's done, saying, you know, she's uh, done these horrific things to these three girls. And what she's really disturbed by is how much she enjoyed watching them suffer. And it uh, fed into, you know, this deep, dark part of her that's been making her act like Reese. <laughs> <laughs> and she, like, takes that back and says, no, I'm not acting like you. I am you. <laughs> she says that there's something inside them that makes it so they can think that doing horrible, terrible things is okay. She must have got it from Grandma and passed it on to him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've met Ida. That's... It's it's possible. <laughs> but uh, Reese just says, there's one left? <laughs> uh... And Lois says, you know, that's that doesn't matter. Uh, you know, what matters is them dealing with, you know, the, this thing that is wrong with them and focusing on, you know, getting Reese through this. And Reese, like, starts to, like, actually sit up for the first time on his own. And he starts to manipulate Lois. <laughs> uh, he says, yeah, uh, you're right. Uh, it doesn't matter what's going on with her, but I, you know, just can't help but think what she must be thinking right now. About how she's so perfect and got away with it and that frumpy old housewife could never get her. And it cuts to both of them in Lois's van wearing like black clothes. And Lois says, I want to make it clear you're not manipulating me. We just need to go do this so this girl learns that her actions have consequences and she can grow up into a fine young lady. And Reese just like nods along and says, sure, mom. And she says that I want to make it clear this is a one-time special exception kind of thing. Now uh, get in the back and fill, uh, fill those balloons with paint. And when they get where they're going uh, and park... Malcolm is waiting outside the van for them, and he, like, confronts them, saying, Aha! I knew you'd be here! And he says, you know, uh, Lois knows that what she's doing is wrong, and it goes against everything she's ever taught them. He's not going to let her do this. And Lois, uh, like, tells him, uh, get out of our way. And Malcolm, like, puts his foot down and says, No, you're not doing this. Then... <laughs> It just cuts to the uh, last girl, like, coming out of her house, wearing a formal dress with her date, who's, like, wearing a tuxedo, and they start to, uh, like, walk uh, towards his car, but <laughs> Lois and Reese, using Hal's pitching machine, which is why it was gone in his last scene, uh, start pelting them with these balloons full of paint. And then they just stand there and take it. Yes, they, they do not attempt to run away at all. They just, like, stand there shocked as, uh, like, she, like, screams for them to stop and, like, starts crying while her date starts using her as a human shield. Yeah, what a real tool. 
and then like cuts back to uh lois and reese like in the bushes with the pitching machine and reese says uh you know this is nice us doing something just the two of us <laughs> and lois says yeah it is isn't it then they drive away and they're still like talking about you know how much fun it was and Malcolm, from the back seat where he is tied up, <laughs> is lecturing Lois, saying, Oh, so now anything you can rationalize is fine. There's just no rules, huh? <laughs> and Lois tells him uh, not to be upset. I'll do something with you next weekend. <laughs> Completely ignoring the actual issue. <laughs> and that wraps this episode up. So let's go to our awards. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Awards. And as usual, we will start with our roller skating keen award. Our award for the best visual moment. What did you have for this one, David? Uh, I had to go with Lois. Uh, like, honestly, pick any of her serial killery moments, but uh, specifically the one where she's outside the window. I just, it's so like stereotypical horror film bad guy thing it just i don't know it cracks me up uh yeah yeah no fair enough i went with what i have uh, in my notes labeled the maximum overdrive scene just <laughs> <laughs> the scene where uh hal's pitching machine like sends the baseball through the garage door and then almost kills him with the second baseball tearing through fair that is also <laughs> very funny <laughs> and what did you have for your hot dog with mustard award your award for the best line i had to go with the malcolm line of uh did it feel good to cut through elmo's neck <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that was also my first choice <laughs> such it's just so funny and he says it with such conviction uh i love it yeah it's it, it's fantastic. But since you took that, I will go with my backup, which is the Reese line. Why does everything I love always turn into a pig? <laughs> it's just such a hyper-specific thing to be cried about a, like, specific line. And like you alluded to, like, sort of implies that this has happened to him in some form before. Yeah. <laughs> Then, uh, moving on to our next award, uh, who did you choose to give your top skate dog award? Who was your favorite character? I had to give it to Hal. I just, I love the goofy little Hal on his own, and just the, the rate, like, the, the mock radio baseball announcer voice that he does was phenomenal. Absolute perfection. Uh, yeah, no, fair enough, I can see that. But I went with Lois. That's fair. I I almost gave it to Lois, but I just... I I don't know, like, maybe I was afraid of giving her too many awards. I don't know. I do love Lois in this, I will say that. Like, this is probably one of my favorite Lois episodes. Well, I, I feel like Lois is probably, like, one of the weaker characters in these last couple seasons. Yeah. So it's nice to, like, see her actually get, like, a... Like, really good, like, kind of focused on her episode, which they've kind of gone away from for the last couple seasons. And, uh, I also appreciate that, like, this feels like a much more in-character, like, break than, like, her break in, uh, Malcolm's Money. Yeah. 
th th this feels true to like earlier seasons Lois while still making her a monster, which I really appreciate. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I love it. And uh, which of these plot lines did you give the A plot of your heart? Uh, the Lois and, and Reese plot line. I'll... Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I love how's like little side thing, but the yeah, the, the Lois stuff is just so good. It really is. And who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award, your award for the best acting? Oh, that had to go to Jane Kinnerick. I mean, she's she's simultaneously Lois and also a serial killer, and you got horror vibes, you got drama, you got you got the the scene with Reese where she's pouring her heart out. I just I absolutely love her performance. There's a ton of range there. There's also just it feels like you said it feels like the character so it feels like she really got to to play with you know her character in this and and i enjoy that yeah 100 percent. i also went with jane casmere yeah just and that, that that like first moment where she like breaks when malcolm tells her about what happened to the girl especially is just such fucking phenomenal acting oh absolutely I love the, as you put it, the mask breaking and like the, you get sort of the little peer behind the veil with her, you yes. know, and, and then back to the controlled Lois that we all know and love <laughs> and fear. <laughs> then, uh, who did you give your Mrs. Dabney award, your award for the worst parent? I also gave that to Lois. Yes, 100%. Yeah. She is correct when she says she's been a terrible mother in this yeah. episode. She is indeed. <laughs> and then she still lets Reese manipulate her into doing the, ex like, continuing to do exactly what she was doing. Right, yeah. <laughs> then, uh, what did you give your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the moment or detail that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. Um, Emma Stone being a side character. Fair. That was also my <laughs> first choice. Yeah, it was it was great. Uh, and I, of course, it would be Emma Stone who gets the like cut off, severed dolls' heads. Yeah, yeah, and, like her falling to her knees and just like scream crying is really good. <laughs> it it is. It's it's and it's such a like uh, it's so funny because you're gonna see her do that in like three other movies true <laughs> but yeah th this is her fourth role like all like one-off like tv roles she did one more after this and then super bad came out which was like her big breakout i didn't realize super bad was her breakout like that's wild to me that was uh, her literally her first movie that's so crazy because i remember like uh what was the one the first one i saw her in and really liked uh easy a I still have not seen that movie. It's been recommended to me Dude, so many times. How by so have many you people. not seen that? <laughs> I it don't. It seems know. like it's right up your alley. <laughs> I know. Oh my god. <laughs> I'll get to it someday, Dave. <laughs> uh, she was also. I also love Zombieland. Yeah. She's great in that. What was the other one? There was another one that she was in. I can't believe 2007 was her first like movie. Yeah, I mean, I feel she, like she, she started acting in 2006. Like, there was... She she was, was, like, not a working actor for very long before, like, blowing up. That's wild. Yeah. She was, like, pretty instantaneously, like, famous. 
Man, I felt like she'd been around a lot longer than that. Because what was the one? She did one that got like super big before. So it was after, because she did Zombieland first, and then Easy A, and then she did one that got really big before her La La Land uh, thing. Because that, uh, her she and was in the Bad Spider Man movies. She was in the Bad Spider Man movies. No, uh, Crazy Stupid Love. That was the one people always talk about. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I she it feels like she was around way longer than this. It's wild looking at this. Uh, also. I almost I, I I didn't do it. I I got I got the right person. I got Gosling. I didn't call him Gyllenhaal. Ugh. I didn't mentally switch for once. Finally, I apparently need to just be constantly mocked, and then maybe my brain will work with those two. <laughs> <laughs> I know someone's out there like, oh, they're talking about La La Land. David gonna fuck it up again? God damn it! <laughs> I know it's not Jake Gyllenhaal. Are you sure? Yes. Listen, I know <laughs> who they are. I just fuck up their names, okay? Uh, sure, David. Sure. I hate you. La La Land <laughs> is Gosling, and I almost fucking said Gyllenhaal again. God damn it, <laughs> dude! I don't know what it is. Emma Stone being a side character was my first choice for OK Boomer as well. But since you went with that, I will go with my uh, much simpler backup, which is just Lois's flip phone that she uses <laughs> when she calls pretending to be from the hotel. Yeah, that's fair. I didn't even, like, I was still just reeling from the Emma Stone thing, so I didn't even consider the flip phone. But yeah, it's very timely. And that just leaves shittiest and least shitty kid. Uh, who did you have, David, as your shittiest kid? Uh, Reese, obviously. As like, he's kind of the only shitty one this episode. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Despite spending most of the episode basically catatonic, you know, the end of the episode comes around and suddenly he's manipulating Lois into doing this thing she knows is wrong. Yeah. (laughs) There's the manipulation, there's the, the whole just like stereotypical teenage boy shit at the beginning like which normally i wouldn't dock off points for um there's also the coming out of the catatonic state to be shitty like yeah uh. (laughs) (laughs) that like this opportunity for revenge is what like so deeply touches him he's able to like recover it's not a great look (laughs) yeah no no. <laughs> and who did you have as least shitty kid? As much as it pains me to say, Malcolm. Uh, I also went with Malcolm, though I think Dewey's also a strong choice. I think he is, but I don't think he has as many scenes to really justify it. Like, yeah, he's taking care of Reese, which is good, and I considered yeah. that. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like Malcolm has more of the moral high ground here, which is a rarity. So, again, grading on a curve. Because of all the curve that I give Reese, I had to give Malcolm, like, he had the moral high ground. That never happens to Malcolm. Yes, 100%. Like, this <laughs> this is, like, a perfect inversion of Lois and Malcolm's, like, usual roles, especially because, like... That end speech specifically where he's telling her, like, (laughs) just because you can rationalize this doesn't mean that it's right is, like, 
what Malcolm needs to hear, like ninety percent of his yeah. shitty episodes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's such a it's such a lowest speech. Yes. It, specifically, it's a lowest speech that she would give to Malcolm, which is yep. so perfect. <laughs> I agree. Uh. All right, well, that wraps up our awards, but we have a couple of segments left, beginning with WTFF. So, David, where the fuck's Francis? Well, you see, Jacob, Francis, being ever the rambling man and roamer that he is, and reeling from the realization that he has fooled everyone, including his wife, about his alcoholism from his time touring with Ass Bandit, and his relationship with Piyama now on the rocks as he continues to deflect his own feelings uh, onto her. Um, Francis has set out now, and he's using the lessons that he gained in NA, uh, or in AA, but in a very Francis way. Francis has decided that rather than traveling and, and writing letters and calling and making amends to the people he's wronged, that, by golly, he deserves to have the wrongs that were done to him made amends for. So he is traveling the country trying to find and force retribution from those who have wronged him in the past. You know, like Cadet Eric and Spangler. Okay. Okay. (laughs) 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 Has Eric accused Francis of killing Cadet Eric? (laughs) I don't know. I feel like that's probably a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Who can say? Yeah, it's Eric. We we don't pay attention. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) Then we also have the Cranston Connection, as we have determined that in some form or fashion, all characters played by Brian Cranston, including the real-life actor Brian Cranston, (laughs) are the same character. You're welcome for that. (laughs) And... Well, it is in fact relevant this time, David, because... Of course it is. My, my first two ideas I'm pretty sure we've already used for Cranston Connections, because I thought about, uh, which I know we've used, the, uh, well, like, his actual uh, pitching thing that happened, like his uh, charity softball thing. Right. Which I know we've used, and I also thought about his pitching machine in relation to the, uh, like, machine gun contraption he uses at the end of Breaking Bad. <laughs> which I think we've used, but I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> but That's fair. Since uh, I thought that maybe both of those have been used, I went looking for more Brian Cranston baseball connections. And I discovered why he's doing the baseball narrator thing in this episode. It's not just a, like, fun bit that he's doing to entertain himself. It is practice. Because he's preparing to be the narrator for the documentary about the 1988 Dodgers that he, uh, in 2018, narrated. Which, of course, he knows he's going to eventually need to be able to do that, as he is a time traveler. So, he, way back in his life as Hal, was starting to prepare for this eventual task he would have to undertake by putting himself in the role of a baseball commentator, so that he can really understand what it means to, you know, narrate this important baseball history. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Okay. That just leaves David's guessing game, which you did fairly well for this episode, as you said that Lois would be pushed past her breaking points, though you thought it would be because of something that the boys did, and that she would, like, set out to prove to them that she's, you know, capable of even worse, like, pranks and destructive behavior than they are, which is kind of on track. But, uh, I gave you some bonus points because you specifically said that we would learn that, like, this is where Reese gets his destructive tendencies, <laughs> which is 100% true. And you also were correct in predicting that there would be no Francis this episode. Yay! So, uh, with your uh, initial idea being partially correct and your bonus points from the, uh, you know, side thing about Reese and getting it correct that we wouldn't have Francis, I gave you an 82 and David, what do you think happens next week in Hal's Dentist? Huh. I think that uh, Hal is gonna... Because he's got his buddy. It's like him and Abe's buddy that's like a dentist, right? And I think Hal is gonna, like... I don't know. Um, like, have to find a dentist for some reason and have to get a tooth fix or something. And, like, you know, he doesn't want to put his friend out and he doesn't want to go to him because you know it'd be weird and then lois is like no he's your friend and he's a dentist and plus we can't afford to get your tooth fixed right now so you should go to him anyways and then like that causes hijinks and uh puts strain on like because of the weirdness from hal's ego uh -huh. on the relationship and then I don't know, maybe, like, Hal assumes, like, he's not going to do certain stuff or whatever because he's his friend, and then he does. Like, I don't know if Hal would expect him to not charge him. Maybe Lois would. I don't know. I don't think it'd be like that, but maybe, like, like ah, he's not going to try to sell me extra stuff. He's my friend, and then, you know, he does the whole try to, like, dentist upsell thing. Like, you know, we should do veneers now, you know, or whatever. I don't know. Fucking... I don't know. They always try to fucking get me to do something when I'm... I don't know. Maybe it's that. Uh, okay. There's got to be some sort of conflict. I don't think this will be like a friendship ending thing, but I think they're going to like probably scuffle, and I assume it's going to be his poker buddy who's a dentist. Okay. And do you think Francis will appear? No. Okay. Uh, Wait. How many did... Fuck. Dude... <laughs> I'm off my uh, game now. He was now, in the, the previous episode. The, la the okay. last episode before this was AA. Okay. So we went at 1 1. I don't remember what I've been doing, though. <laughs> I'm going to say no. I don't remember the pattern I was on. So fuck it. I'm just going with no. Okay. No, Francis. <laughs> I had a pattern I was trying to stick to, but <laughs> us getting sick fucked it all up. <laughs> okay. Uh, well. Thank you for listening. That wraps this episode up. As always, thanks and credit to Jacob Newfeld, who does our intro and outro music. You can find links to more of his music in the episode descriptions. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com. Or you can reach us on Twitter, where we are unfair uh, underscore podcast. If you enjoy the banter back and forth here and want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we play video games, interact with chat, and in general, have a good time. And as always, remember that life is unfair. Mm -hmm.